Good evening, everybody. So good to be with you tonight. We are kicking off our intentional series. That's what it's called. It is intentional, but we are intentional about all of our series. But the name of the series is Intentional. And it's speaking about how to be intentional in relationships, in your friendships, in your courtship, and in your marriage. In every phase of life that we go through, there are different phases. I know it's weird that I'm holding two mics, but don't worry, it's all going to be explained in a few moments. There are different phases that we go through in life, right? And from a young age to an old age, there are things that are questioned in those phases. And two things that we have to keep working on in each phase, I'm actually going to switch. Can I switch to this mic? I don't like this one. Okay, maybe this is better. In each phase of life that we go through, there are two things that we have to keep addressing. One is our identity, and the other is our community. And we have to keep working on those through every single phase, because no matter what you're facing in that phase, it's going to question those things. Community comes and goes, right? Sometimes it's stronger in one phase and weaker in another phase, and that's why you have to keep working on it. And whatever you're facing, your identity is going to be questioned in that space as well. And so what we're hoping to do over this series is look at how to be intentional about our identity and our community in all three of these phases. So I've asked a really great friend of mine, CJ, to share her testimony and a little bit of her story tonight, hence mic number two. So can we give CJ a huge welcome as she comes? Evening, everybody. Um, cool, so I'm going to dive right in. Um, I was married for 13 years to a very good man named Paul. And after 13 years of marriage, he sat me down and he told me that he was gay. And I love that reaction. <laughs> it's very interesting to me because it kind of tells me that the world has an expectation of how I should have felt in that, that uh, situation. And um, very often the kind of reaction that people give me, the word that they use is devastation, that I should have felt devastated. And I really love that word because it gives this picture in my mind of the wake of a tsunami, how everything is just matchwood. Everything that was yeah. a certain way no longer is. It's lost its purpose, it's lost its use, it's just broken. And uh, that's devastation, and that's not my story. So... <laughs> See, the center of my world was not my husband or my marriage, and the basis of my identity was not that of wife and the love that that man gave me. So when my world got flipped upside down and was made a mess, um, because God is the center of my world and God is the basis of my identity, I was able to stand on solid ground. The world often tells us that our identity is linked to our relationship status, you're single, you're married, you're divorced, and all those things come with certain connotations and identifying adjectives that we use to label people and identify them and give them definition. But God doesn't define us that way. He doesn't use our relationships to define who we are. There's only one relationship that he defines us by, and that's our relationship with him. Yeah. But relationships are good. God created them. He's the one who said to Adam, it's not good to be alone. And he uses marriage to reflect to us our relationship with Christ. 
And he created community and told us, don't neglect the gathering of the saints because it's important. So relationships are important to him, but only the one is the one that's used to define us. See, relationships are situations that you're in. You're in the situation of being single or married or divorced. And if you base your identity on your situation, when your situation shifts, your identity is gonna be in crisis. And this is why we base our identity on the solid foundation of who God is, because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He never changes, and everything he says about you is true because he doesn't lie. So the world expected me as a woman to question my identity because of my husband's identity crisis. But his crisis doesn't say anything about who I am, because who I am is based on who God tells me I am. So God tells me first and foremost that I am loved. The world tells me I was rejected, that I might be unlovable, maybe I was a nightmare as a wife, or uh, maybe I'm a victim. God doesn't tell me that, he tells me I'm loved. He tells me that before the foundation of the earth, he knew me, he knew I was gonna be created, he loved me, and he set in motion a plan to rescue me from my sin and redeem me into relationship with him. That's how much I am loved. I don't need a man or anybody else on this planet to tell me how much I'm loved. I am completely, utterly, and wholly loved. I'm provided for. Um, It looks like I lost some of my provision, but it doesn't matter what avenue I'm provided for through, God is my provider no matter what. I don't need to be afraid and I'm not needy. I don't need a poverty spirit. I can be generous because God is my provider. And then I'm protected. Um, My... The issue of protection was a big one for me because I'm now a single woman living in Orange Grove. And if you don't know Orange Grove, let me put it this way, I know where I can buy drugs because they offer them to me. (laughs) That is my neighborhood. It's an awesome neighborhood, but it comes with challenges, and one of those is my safety. But you see, God tells me that I am protected, that he commands a legion of angels to guard me, and I don't need to be afraid. That's not my identity. Knowing who God is and knowing who he says I am allows me to interact with my ex, not from a place of anger and resentment, but a place of honor for the man that he was and the husband that he was and the man that God wants him to be. Our identity tells us how we relate to others. And then lastly, just a a word on community. (laughs) I wouldn't be standing here if it wasn't for my community, and that's you guys. And um, before I even knew something was wrong, God placed me in a community because he knew I was gonna need you guys. And I'm just gonna share one incident of what the community did for me. Um, The guys in the office, God spoke to them individually and told them that they needed to tell me I was beautiful. Mm. Because the man that was supposed to do that in my life wasn't there anymore and God knew I had a need. And so they kept telling me I was beautiful and I thought it was weird until they told me God said that you needed to hear it. And it touched my heart so much that God cared that much for me. He knew what I needed and he put me around people who could give me what I needed. It's so important that we are in community because it's how God ministers to us through other people. You've got things that I need from God and I've got stuff you need. So here's the thing. Life's gonna throw you tornadoes and they're gonna throw your world upside down and there are three things you need to survive it. You need to know who God is. You need to know who he says you are. 
because the world is gonna throw identity at you and tell you who you are and how to respond. But God, when you stand on the identity that God's given you, you can say, no, that's not who I am. I know who my God is, and you stand on that. And lastly, you need to be in community because that's how God's going to minister to you. I kind of feel like I don't have to preach now. Like, thanks, CJ, for leaving me with that. Amen. It's been so good having you at church. I do want to say this, though. If CJ started figuring out her identity when she got divorced, it would have been a mess. That we have to do that stuff long before the storms come, right? And so I want to implore you to do that. That as we go through the series, I mean, three weeks is not enough time for us to talk about all of the issues that you're going to have to deal with to have great relationships. But hopefully you will dig and go into this topic on your own. That you will spend time with God reflecting on what we discuss over the next three weeks. So that you are really impacted by it. Amen? So if I think about relationships and the picture that we want for our relationships, I think pretty much all of us want, like, amazing, life-giving relationships where there's just freedom to love without fear of rejection, where the people are always there for you, you never feel abandoned or alone, where there's no shame, you don't feel like there's anything you can't say, and we want that in our friendships and our marriages and with our children and with our colleagues, but most of us don't have relationships like that. And the difference between what the relationships are that we currently have in that picture is, is what I want to dig into tonight. What is the one thing that we need to learn if we are going to have relationships that essentially look like the way Jesus relates to us? So I went back to when Jesus called us friends. Because if I want to learn about what Jesus thinks about friendship, then that's where I decided to start. Felt like it was a good place. So can you turn in your Bibles to John 15? You used to hear pages turning at this point in the sermon, but John 15 verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That, he, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So I want to break down the scripture a little bit, right? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So Jesus begins with describing how he is in this place of receiving love from the Father so that he can give love to his disciples. And he's saying to his disciples, as you have received love from me, so give love to the next person. If you can go to the next slide. So there's this like receiving love and giving love, and then he says abide in this love. So stay receiving love that you may continue to give love. And he says stay receiving love by obeying my commandments. By following after me, by loving God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, by loving your neighbor as yourself, by not thinking a hateful thought towards somebody else, by not thinking a lustful thought towards somebody else. That is what it means, right? To stay receiving love is to follow Jesus, to obey his commandments. 
And he calls that friendship with God. You are my friend if you do what I command. So it's this like cycle, right? If you, you will stay in my love and receiving love if you obey my commandments to love God and to love other people. And that is friendship with me, which is where joy is complete. If you keep loving and receiving love and loving other people. And that's what I want you to do with other people is to love and receive love and give love. Do you see what I mean? It's like this whole cycle. And so if I look at that picture of what it means to receive love, give love, and keep loving, and what is essentially missing between what we do and what that picture is, essentially I think we need to learn how to let ourselves be loved. Because if we can learn to let ourselves be loved, then we will stay receiving love so that we can stay giving love and that that constitutes as friendship. That's what friendship is. So if there is one thing that we can learn tonight, it is to learn how to let ourselves be loved. And if I look at what Jesus spoke about, the two, I want to extract two principles from his words that enable us to let ourselves be loved. He ends with saying... I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends because everything my father has told me, I have told you. That's the principle of trust. That he has entrusted everything the father has told him to his friends. And that that's what makes you a friend is that you have been entrusted with that relationship. So there's this element of trust. But he says that you stay in love if you obey his commands. That is the principle of boundaries, that I'm going to do certain things and not do other things because of the boundary I have put in place. And these two things are two sides of a coin, trust and boundaries that are essential if we are going to let ourselves be loved. And so that's what we're going to speak about tonight. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you have lavished your love upon us. We don't deserve the love that you have shown, to, that you have decided to show us, but that is what makes it so amazing, Lord God, is that you love us anyway, and that your love is so complete and so whole that we can never reach the end of it. In fact, we are as loved now as we could ever possibly be. And so I pray that you would help us to let ourselves be loved, Lord God, by you, by our friends, by our partners, by our children, that you would show us where there are areas of mistrust, where there are broken boundaries, Lord God, where there are things that we need to change so that we start letting ourselves be loved. Holy Spirit, this is not about me. This is all about you, and I pray that you would be glorified tonight. I pray that you would speak to every single person, Lord. We want to acknowledge that this is your word, Lord God, and I pray that your word would bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Great, so this... Principle of trust. I mean, I think most of us would agree that trust is pretty critical for love. That if you don't trust the person, then you're not going to let them love you because you think that as soon as they love you, you're going to get hurt. And as soon as we don't trust people, we tend to isolate. That the relationship is all good until there's like a little bit of, eh, this might go wrong. And we just isolate ourselves in, the, in that relationship and completely withdraw because we think we're going to get hurt. And we don't trust the other person. We 
most of us have learned to sort of build our own refuge. The Bible speaks about how God is our refuge, but that means we have to let go of our own refuge. And the thing is that as we have experiences where people have disappointed us, where situations haven't worked out, we start to build this own refuge that really is, I will make myself okay. I will be my strength. I will be my security. And so that's what we hold on to. And so when relationships have a dodge moment, we just hold on to ourselves. We withdraw from that place and we begin to isolate ourselves. And there's a biblical example of this in the book of Ruth. At the beginning of the book of Ruth, Naomi is this lady who's married a guy. She's from Israel. He's a foreigner. She goes to his land. They have two sons. Their two sons marry two of the ladies from that land. Naomi's husband dies. Her sons die. And she turns to her daughters-in-law and she says to them, just go. Go back to your homes and to your people because like she's hurt and she's broken and she pushes the people who want to love her away. And she begins to self-sabotage in that moment where, she, where they say, we're going to go with you. And she's like, no, just go to your own homes and to your own people. Call me bitter because that is all that I am now. And this is what we tend to do when we are hurt in relationships. We withdraw our trust that those people are still going to love us in our brokenness. And they're still going to love us in our pain when all our wax is showing. And we isolate ourselves from those relationships. But isolation is exactly that point of not letting ourselves be loved. Because we're essentially telling ourselves that I'm only lovable when I'm okay. And as soon as I'm not okay, then I'm not lovable enough. And so I withdraw from those relationships. I don't let anybody show me that I'm lovable in that space. I had a conversation with Andrea this week. There she is. Hey. She spoke to me a little bit about her journey of learning not to isolate in her friendships. And she said that she found herself in a space a few years ago where, I did ask if I could share this, by the way. She found herself in a space a few years ago where in her friendship, she felt like she was left out of them, that she was not even welcome in her own friendships, that people were friends with her on a shallow level but actually didn't care about her that much and felt rejected in those relationships. And what she realized was that as she figured out where her rejection came from, it didn't come from those relationships. It came from many, many years before that, but she projected that rejection onto those relationships. I think a lot of us think our issues are only going to be projected in our marriage, but they're projected in our friendships long before that. And she found herself isolating from her friendships and withdrawing from her relationships. After she discovered that there was an issue of rejection, she began to, she said this to me, that she made the decision to become the friend that she wanted to have. And she started pursuing her friendships, messaging people to follow up with them, booking coffees with people, praying for them, trusting, entrusting them to God, and how her friendships transformed, not because of the fact that these are all new people that just suddenly discovered she's lovable, but essentially because Andrea began to believe she was lovable. And she began to let people love her in that way and stopped isolating herself in those relationships. So if we're going to build trust in our friendships, we need to stop isolating ourselves from them as soon as stuff goes south. The second aspect of trust is communication. Because if I'm going to let myself be loved, I have to let myself be seen. And communication is all about actually saying what is going on. Saying this is what I really am, this is what is really happening, and you can see this so that you can choose to love this. Communication is about 
stopping to hide in our friendships. We hide so much in our friendships. Like, we will tell people the good stuff, basically the Instagram version of our lives, and we just leave out the hard stuff. We, we leave out the, the ups and the downs and the difficulties. You see, communication is not about saying, this is what happened, this is what went wrong, and this is what I resolved. No, that's not communication. Communication is, I still don't know what's happening. It's not the resolved version of your problem. It's the current version of your problem. Communication is about letting people in to see, listen, I'm confused, I'm frustrated, I think I'm sinning, but I'm not sure. That's what communication is. It's letting people in to that journey and into that space. And we either hide in our relationships by communicating nothing, by only saying the good stuff, by isolating ourselves, or we communicate like the whole story and we actually don't let anybody speak into that. We just tell people like, this is what I used to do. We like the start, or maybe I still do it. <laughs> the start, the during, the end, this is what Jesus said, I'm now fixed, thank you so much for being my friend. And we don't actually let anybody in. Communication, if we are going to let ourselves be loved, we have to learn to actually speak about what is going on while it's going on. And, and to let people into that space. The third aspect of, of trust that I wanted to speak about is the importance of learning in our friendships. Friendships are a really, really great space to learn because friendships are the first relationships you choose. Born into a family, you don't choose those relationships, unfortunately. And as you get older, you start choosing friendships. But moreover, you choose who you are in those friendships. I certainly was not allowed to choose how I spoke to my mother, but I was allowed to choose how I spoke to my friends. And the person that I decided to be in those friendships. Friendships are the first relationships we have that don't have the obligation of being a certain way attached to them. And so we have this opportunity to learn in friendships that is different to any other relationship. So you have the opportunity, well, no matter what phase of life you're in, no matter your friends are married or unmarried or divorced or single or with babies or without, your friends are a learning space that you have. And you can learn in those friendships. And if you are going to have trust, you need to learn to trust in your friendships. I would argue that if I don't believe that if my friends see me, and choose to love me, if I don't believe that's going to happen with them, I don't believe that's going to happen with anybody else. Friendships are an opportunity for you to learn. And you need to determine, you need to figure out what your friendships are currently teaching you. If you are hanging out with your friends, and it's, what hanging out with your friends is, is like Netflixing and being on your phones, you're basically learning that relationship is disengaging. If when you hang out with your friends, all you're doing is talking about other people and judging other people, then you are learning to pretend in relationships. And so your friendships are currently teaching you about how to be in a relationship, whatever that relationship is. Because your friendships will shape not only your relationship with your spouse, current or future, but also with your children. And so you need to figure out what you are learning in your friendships so that you can learn how to have relationships that are full of trust and love and honor and freedom. But the second aspect of trust is boundaries. And boundaries are so important that, you know, when we talk about the phrase boundaries most of the time nowadays, we're speaking about the fact that I am 
putting protection around myself. Boundaries are about values. It's about what I value and putting things in place to protect that which I value. And most of us are learning to value ourselves, and so our boundaries are all about protecting ourselves, right? That when I'm learning to put a boundary in place, I said, listen, I'm valuable. You can't just treat me like that. But we also have to have boundaries that protect our relationships, boundaries around those relationships, that with my spouse, with my friend, with my child, there are certain boundaries in place so that not anything can just happen here or be said here, but you need boundaries within those relationships so that I am not putting everything on my spouse to define me, to love me, to make me whole, that I'm not putting everything on my friends to make sure that I'm okay, to make sure that I am seen, that I am necessary in their lives, that I need to put a boundary within that friendship so that I also protect that friend. If we don't believe that we're lovable, then that's going to be expressed in a boundaryless way because essentially I begin to put that need to be lovable and enough in my relationships. And so I just have no boundaries with them. It's like you can do whatever and say whatever so that I feel loved to you. And there really is such a need to, to abide in Jesus' love. That was his command to us. Abide in my love not abide in your spouse's love or abide in your friend's love or abide in your child's achievements. Abide in his love. Because that boundary of saying, I am going to place a boundary that all of my love, significance, and value comes from Jesus is so that I don't crush my other relationships with that expectation. In other words, we need to break codependency. That's what we call it. We need to break it. You see, codependency is pretty much, according to 21st century media, the normal way to relate to people. But it's not normal. And we begin to have codependency creeping into our friendships and our marriages. And, and it sounds like this, like if my friends don't see me, then I am not seen. If I wanted to do something and my friends don't want to do that with me, then this thing isn't important anymore. It has no value anymore because they are the definer of value. It's, it's that I am not a substance enough on my own, value enough on my own to exist. And so I begin to draw it in relationships. And, you know, it's, it's codependency can go so undiscovered in relationships between parents and children because there is a dependency that children have on parents. And so it becomes easier for parents to project that onto their children as well and to have dependency there. And so this is why friendships are that space to learn. You see, your current relationships are your only training ground for your future relationships. So you have to learn how to break codependency in your current relationships for the sake of your future relationships, whether that's with children or a spouse or with a colleague, that this is that space to learn it. And I think that codependency is something that we really um, let, like, settle into how we think and how we do things, and it, it has so much potential to break. Ruth and Naomi, going back to that example, you know, Ruth sounds pretty codependent in Ruth chapter 1, where she's like, Naomi, I will go with you to the ends of the world. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. It sounds like she's pretty much sold herself 
to her mother-in-law. But if you look at how they interact throughout the rest of the book, you can see that what they're really doing is empowering the other to be their best selves, so, we, so to say. Be your, be you, what does it do you, boo? <laughs> Live your best life. When, when Ruth is all like, hey, Boaz, I see you, Naomi says to her, go. Don't worry about me. Go and pursue what you want to pursue. Because codependency, if she was codependent, she would have tried to keep Ruth there. She would have tried to manipulate her into staying so that Ruth could have kept feeding that thing, that Naomi would have had security in Ruth. And I have certainly done that in my relationships. Codependency is my, like, Achilles heel thing. But, you know, in my friendships, the health comes in, and, and where it comes is from that space of abiding in Jesus and knowing what the other person's thing is, that they can abide in Jesus. Because the idea is that if I know your issue as your friend, when you start projecting that onto me, I can be like, go and pray, fam. But if you've never told me, if you have been running and hiding in our friendship and I don't know your issue, it's just going to break our friendship. But I've seen this in my friendship with Toby, for example, that Toby, what she does when life gets rough is that she isolates. What I do is that I start manipulating. And both of us know that about the other. So that when we're doing it, she's like, I'm not trying to fix Jess. Go and pray. Be with Jesus. I don't need to fix you. And vice versa. So you need to communicate and you need to trust your friends so that you can be in that space where you are pushing the other towards Jesus, not towards you. We all have dysfunction that we tend to recreate, every single one of us. And if you don't know what your dysfunction is, then you're going to keep recreating it. So some of us will get counseling and get healing and will be set free from the pain of those moments. But if we can't label those moments, then we will keep recreating those situations. So it's not just about getting healing. It's also about getting aware. Self-awareness. Self-awareness is really about knowing what dysfunction is that you have a propensity to create so that you can start putting the boundaries in place to stop recreating dysfunction. And that really, I think, is what the boundaries should be for, that in your marriage, in your friendships, with your children, that you know what is your propensity for dysfunction and how can you place a boundary line there so that you don't recreate it. So, in friendships, Essentially, what this boils down to, when it comes to letting yourself be loved and learning how to do that, because it really is a learning space. There's not like a magical one day you're going to wake up and be the perfect person. That would be great, but it doesn't work like that. And so the learning space is about making the right choices so that I am learning intentionally how to trust in my friendships and I am learning intentionally how to lay healthy boundaries. Just a side note, before we go on to next week on me in courtship, boy-girl friendships. Let's talk about that for a little bit. I haven't even said anything, but y'all are clapping. You need to have friendships with the opposite gender, right? Please don't only have one form of friendship. But understand that the room for miscommunication in those relationships is much, much greater than in same-gender relationships. And so when it comes to boundaries and communication, you have to be on another level. 
You have to be saying everything that you are thinking from the beginning so that there is no room for miscommunication. And you need the other gender, right? And you are meant to be in a relationship that is one, with one person of that gender. So you are finding some of your needs met in your friendships with that other person. But I can tell you this, it is not marriage. And so if you are finding a need met in your friendship with a boy or a girl, and like you're still continuing that because you're like, hey, this is nice. No. <laughs> Basically, no. I don't know how to explain it, but no. This is, this is the point. This is the point that I'm trying to make. Self-awareness is about knowing what you're getting out of your friendships as well. And you need to know that. Because if I am getting something out of you and treating in a way, you in a way that is like a relationship, but we're not in a relationship, I am dishonoring you and I am dishonoring me. And so I need to draw a boundary line there and I need to communicate. Listen, fam, actually I realized this thing and I'm sorry. And can we build a friendship that is healthier, with healthier boundaries? And don't leave it until she's falling in love with you to say that, right? Or let's go out according to Sylvia. So next week, next week, we're going to talk about the going for coffee phase. This week, we're talking about friendship. Okay, let me close, let me close. So, choice, making the right choices in friendship. Let's go back to friendship. Take a moment to consider what choices you are making in your friendship. If you are choosing to let people love you, if you are choosing to let yourself be seen, or if you are choosing to hide in your friendships. Consider if you are choosing to commit to your friendships. I really think we give up so easily on friendships. I really do. I think that when things go south, when things get difficult, even in boy-girl friendships, when things get confused, we give up. And we say, I can't do this, and we just let things die, when actually you could fight for something there. You could fight for a friendship. And you, if you just learn that when relationships get difficult, then we give up on them, then that's what you're going to repeat for the rest of your life. And so learn to commit in your friendships. Learn to say, I choose you. No matter what we've been through, ups and downs, I choose you. I want to laugh because my friends have had to say that to me so many times. I've made so many mistakes. Oh, thanks, Manishal. In every phase, we have to think about identity and community. Trust is about learning to build our community, and identity is built through our boundaries. If we are going to work on our identity in our community, we need to work on our trust and our boundaries. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that in every season, your word is life-giving. Father, I thank you for the people that you've put in our lives, Lord God. We don't want to take that lightly, Jesus. I thank you that you give us ample opportunity to have family, to have friends, to build relationships. And so I pray, Lord God, that we would not just overlook the relationships that we currently have. Father, I pray that you would help us to trust people so that we can let ourselves be loved. 
Because the truth of the matter is that we do project our human relationships onto you. And so if we can't learn to let ourselves be loved by others, we will struggle to let ourselves be loved by you. And so I pray that you would teach us how to do that, Holy Spirit. I pray for a release of grace right now over every single person to identify and to say no to things that they have let abuse them, Lord God. To say no to boundaries that they have let be all over the place, Lord Jesus. To say yes to trust. To say yes to love. I pray that you would highlight to us, Lord God, why we struggle with trust. Why we struggle with boundaries and how we can abide in your love, Jesus. We want to abide in you, Lord. We just take a moment right now to receive your love, to remind ourselves that we are loved, Lord. Help us to have healthy friendships, Lord God. I pray for the grace to communicate, Jesus, to actually tell people what is going on, to open ourselves up to other people. And we, we repent, Jesus, every time we haven't thought of ourselves the way that you think of us, Lord Jesus, that's sin, Lord God, and we repent of that. We repent of every time we have thought of another person less than what you think of them. We ask you for your grace, Lord, for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.